0: Good morning. How y'all doing? Good, good. Well, if you could, open up to Second uh, Timothy. Second Timothy will be in chapter 1. And these gentlemen here, these ushers are going to be walking down. If you need a Bible, as they're making their way down, um, grab their attention. And they'll give you a Bible, and that's our gift to you. So please keep that and bring it back with you every single Sunday. So this morning... I was, uh, I was putting on my suit, and my daughter said to me, is it Christmas? And I thought, man, it's been a long time since I've wore a suit, if that's, if that's what she's thinking. Um, but I had a witty remark to come back. I said, well, it's not Christmas, but we are going to celebrate Jesus. Amen? Amen? All right. So I want to take a second real quick. As you guys know, uh, we've been working through the book of Acts. And uh, Pastor Ken's been doing a great job of exegetically and expositionally walking us through that. And I want to just take a second real quick um, to honor Pastor Ken and Kim for all the work that they've done and uh, the spiritual fatherhood and mothership that they've gave to Madison and myself and everybody here. So we love you guys and thank you for all that you do. So when Pastor approached me about preaching, I was like, this is great. I'll uh, pick right up where you left off in Acts and uh, it'll be good. And he was like, "No, we got a couple of guests, you know, speakers coming, and the counselor's going to come the week after you. So, you pick, you know, whatever you want to pick to preach." And I was like, "Have you seen this thing? There's a lot to choose from in there." Uh, and that was the that was like the biggest challenge. Was man, God's word is so good, and He's so faithful. How can I just pick a little passage to bring to you guys today? Um, but what I kept coming back to was the grace that God has given to me in my life. You know, the fact that I'm even here standing up in this pulpit today uh, is only by God's grace. And that's, that's for a lot of us that we're, we're, I mean, that's for all of us that we're only here in these seats by God's grace. Isn't that right? And for, you know, a young man who didn't grow up in a house that knew the faith and, I mean, was a mess in high school and college to have the... Ability and spirit of God to come up here and give you guys the word. It's only by the grace of God. And so as I thought about that and the gifts that God has given me, it reminded me of the grace that God shared with Paul and through Paul and how he communicated that to his protege, Timothy. And that's where I really landed on going to 2 Timothy um, and talking about that grace that Paul is trying to bestow to his his son in the faith Timothy um, and what that means and really what that means for all of us because we all have that grace of God and we should unleash that and that shouldn't be something that is just hidden inside of us and we should be in love with that grace that God has given us so I want to take you all through a little exercise Um, I thought about it's like maybe I'll you know, have them close their eyes and envision something, but then I was afraid that a couple of you may not open your eyes back up, so I'm not going to do that, but still going to do a little exercise with you, so while your eyes are open, I want you to think about uh, where your life is going to be 15 years from now, 15, it's kind of crazy, you know, as I thought about it, I was like, man, we're going to have no kids in the house, this is going to be incredible, um, but I want you to think about where your life's going to be in 15 years, okay? Okay. Um, and what is, what's different in that? What does that look like? Uh, what's changed? What are your living circumstances? Maybe where you're working. Maybe what country you live in, right? Could be different in those 15 years. Now, I know we're all Baptists, so I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But I want to know who is the person out there that thought 15 years from now, I'll be in prison. <laughs> all right. I said no hands, guys. I said no hands. Um, Chained up in a dungeon, alone, by yourself. Does anybody have that 15-year vision? If you do, we'll talk after. I'm kidding. But I doubt that's exactly what you envision in 15 years from now. But that's exactly what I want to do with you guys today is I want to fast forward us from where we stopped last Sunday in Acts 15 which happened, the Acts 15 council was around 49 AD. And Paul is on the scene in Acts, right? And we're about to see, really through the, as we go through the rest of the book of Acts, about 14 more chapters, we're going to see Paul go on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ and preach the word all over the world. And he's going to be hustling and grinding and preaching Christ everywhere. And 15 years later, when he's writing this second letter to Timothy that we're gonna dive into today. When you read this and you look at this, I want you to envision in your mind that Paul is in a Roman prison, that he is chained up, he's alone, it's dark, and he knows without a doubt that he is going to be murdered for believing in Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do today. We're gonna fast forward 15 years and look at that. And we're gonna look exactly as he sits there and knows he's going to die for his belief, what is he going to write to his mentee, his protege, his son of the faith, Timothy? What is he going to write to him? And so as we go into that and we're going to pray, I want to ask you guys and pose a question to you as we go through this, which is if you knew that 15 years from now that you are going to be in prison and persecuted heavily, would you still pick up your cross and would you still preach Jesus Christ, even though that could happen in 15 years. Would you? Because we all should. So let's pray and ask God for that strength. Heavenly Father, it is a pleasure to be here in your presence today, Lord, for it's not anything that we did, nothing that we did to have earned your grace to be sitting here opening up your word of scripture and being able to worship you. Other than our hearts being opened to wanting to hear and yearn for you and your love, your grace, it is so incredible and you are so faithful to us. We pray that as we get into your word today, Lord, that you would stir up our souls, that your fire would be stirred up inside of us, that we would listen with attentive ears and let it sink into our souls, that we would walk out of here feeling refreshed and replenished, rejuvenated by your word, and that we would go out into the battlegrounds of this world and pick up our crosses and preach Christ no matter where that we go and share Christ no matter where that we go. Because that takes a lot of strength, that takes a lot of courage, and that takes a lot of boldness in our attitude, that of which does not come from ourselves, but only from your Holy Spirit that you've bestowed on us through our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. So I ask you all to uh, look at your outline that we passed out in the beginning. If you haven't, we've got a couple more over there. And as we look at that, I want to share with you the first point that we have today, which is God gifts us for the mission. God gifts us for the mission. As you're looking in 2 Timothy 1, We're going to start reading in verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So as we expositionally work through this scripture, the first thing that you're going to note is the first three words are for this reason. Well, what reason is that, that Paul is writing this to Timothy? In order to do that, we need to scroll up to verse number 3, Right? And look at three. And so I'm going to read verses three through five for you all. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I, might, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice And I am persuaded now lives in you also. I want to point out a couple of things that Paul is saying there that should tug on the heartstrings. He's constantly praying for his son in the faith, Timothy. We should always be constantly praying for each other. I remember your tears. If you guys held a brother and sister in your arms and remembered their tears, remember that. I miss you because you bring me joy. It's just, it's touching. I know of your true faith because your grandma shared it with your mom, and then your mom shared it with you. And it's for that reason that Paul is writing this specific message to Timothy, because he knows of his real and genuine faith that has been taught to him. And I love that Paul here points out that I saw this in your grandmother, and I saw this in your mother. And I just thought it was a great opportunity right now to shout out all the moms and the grandmoms that have put this faith inside of us and here. I mean, how many of you are here because of the faith of your mom and the faith of your grandma? right? That's a beautiful thing, is it not? I, I won't go into too many details, but if it's not for a young woman in the 1950s in the holler, as she would call it, in West Virginia, Gigi is what I call her, If it's not for her coming to faith in the 50s and then moving to Detroit and raising up her kids in the faith and then her kids raising her kids up in the faith, I wouldn't be right here right now. That's a beautiful thing, that genuine and sincere faith and a lot of women in our lives have provided that and it's just a great point out that Paul does this here for us. And it's why Paul is writing this. He knows that the genuine, sincere faith and belief in God is in his heart and soul. And that is there for a lot of us. But now I want to move into the context of what's going on as Paul writes this, is that Paul is in prison and Timothy is afraid. Because people who are preaching this Jesus are going to prison and are being persecuted for believing in Jesus Christ. And so people who believe in him are afraid that that might happen to them too. That if I do this, if I stand bold, if I believe in Jesus Christ, that then I too would be persecuted. So I'm afraid that that's going to happen to me. And that's that's the reason why Paul is emphasizing this and writing this to Timothy. And he's saying specifically here, Timothy, the faith is in you, so don't waste it. Don't waste the faith of Jesus Christ inside of you. And so now we know the reason why Paul's writing this letter. You have genuine faith. Don't waste it. And so now what is he actually saying to Timothy? We see that in 6 when he tells him, now fan into the flame the gift of God. And so God gifts us. He gifts us for the mission. And I say sub underneath, don't let the gift be dormant. Don't let the gift be dormant. We all have gifts from God. Do you know that? Every single one of you. Is like, look, look, you have a gift from God. And Timothy, as we see here, was gifted by God to carry out his task for the, lo- the Lord, and so are all of us. And each one of us has been gifted by the Lord for his work. In fact, this is what the Bible says a little bit further on as we look at it. In the scripture of 1 Corinthians, and this is still Paul, he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. So we have the same work, the same God who is working in Paul, the same God who is working in Timothy, is the same God that is working inside of you and has put that gift inside of you. And so he says, don't let that gift be dormant. Fan it into flame. A picture that, like, nobody knows what that tool's called, right? But you fan that flame, right, when you're, when you're trying to get that fire started. And for Timothy especially, in the latter part of this verse, so in 6, you, you see that it's talking about through the laying of the hands. Well, that's because Timothy's gift was teaching and preaching the word. And Paul states that through the laying on his hands, which tells us that was specifically when Timothy was being ordained. So his gift is that he was teaching and preaching, and now he's telling him to take that ember, that small fire that's there, and fan it in the flame. And we see that now via 1 Corinthians. That's not only the gift that God can give you. It's not only the gift that he gives to Timothy or to Paul or to myself because we're teaching and preaching the word. And that's okay if your gift isn't preaching and teaching the word. That's okay. The sermon isn't just for Timothy and me. We all have gifts. So how do you know? How do you know what your gift is? Well, I say, again, sub under your first point, is find your gift through serving. Find your gift through serving the local church, the body the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know how many times, you know, and I work at a Fortune 500 company, that they make you take these personality tests. I mean, it's all the time. They're like, well, we need to see where your gifts are at. Take this online test. And every time I do it, it tells me I'm, I should be a teacher. So maybe they're doing something right. I don't know. But there's all kinds of tests online. But at the end of the day, what you're going to find is serve your body in the local church. Because here's what's going to happen. One, you're going to make some incredible relationships with people. And that's amazing. But along the way, you're going to find what some of your strengths are. You're going to find what some of your passions are. You're going to find, well, I don't actually really like doing that. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's okay. But you're going to find what your gifts are through serving the Lord in the local church. And so use that. And your, your gifts will come naturally out by serving the Lord. And so I think about this to, to illustrate the point a little bit further. I've never been like a big bonfire-like person, but I do like to go to a fire. Uh, the hardest part is always getting it started. Am I right? I mean, what do you got to use, like the newspaper, and then you got to like throw in like the small sticks and, and get this thing going. Once you can get it going, it, it's, it's pretty good to, to keep it going. But what Paul's saying here. You don't have to start the fire. I've put the fire inside you. The fire and the gift from God is already inside you, and the fire is there. And so he's saying, you don't need the newspaper. You don't need the lighter. I started the fire for you, and it's in you. And so God gifts us for the mission. But what do I do now? What do I do now that he's given me a gift? How do I take this from here? And so I say, secondly, in your outline, that God's spirit motivates us for the mission. It motivates. God's spirit. So look at verse 7 in 2 Timothy 1. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So there's a couple things I really want to point out here. First off, this word timid, the Greek word for timid is delia, delia. And it can also be translated like this. It can can be timid, but it also can be fear or cowardice. And so when you look at that, it's saying, family, the spirit of God does not make you timid. It does not make you afraid, it does not make you fearful, and it doesn't make you a coward. So when you are in a situation where somebody is slandering your Lord and Savior, or somebody is talking bad about your Lord and Savior, when you don't speak up in the name of Jesus, that is not the spirit that is holding you back, that is you in your sin that is holding you back. Because the spirit of God does not give you a spirit of being afraid or being timid. It doesn't give you a, a spirit of being a coward. It gives you the spirit of strength. And you see that in here, that it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now I wanna, pull, I wanna dive a little further into those three words. When you think of the power, that spirit gives you power. That is power and strength that you don't naturally have. I'm not talking about your biceps. I'm talking about the strength inside of you to get through some of the hardest situations that you've ever been through in your life. That is not power that comes from within yourself. That is power from the Savior Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, he gave us that power through the hardest situations that we've been through. Have some of you been through some tough things in your life? It's only by the gift, the power, and the grace of God that he helps us get through that. That's the power that God is talking about. When you think about the love, love, the desire to do what you do for the sake of others. I don't I have this on the, on the board because I think all of you have this inscribed on your heart, but you think of John 3.16, yeah? God gave us one and only son. That's love. Sacrificial, servant love. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's the spirit that God puts in you to be able to love somebody like that. It is not normal It is not the human standard. You think of every graduation, you know, kind of speaker that there's ever been was the first thing they say in mainstream, be you. Do you. Live your best life. Talking a little bit to my youth in here right now. That's the horrible advice. The best way to show love is by putting others ahead of you and sacrificially loving. And thirdly, he says there, the spirit of God gives us self-discipline which you could define by focusing my energies on the blessed God-given task and to not be distracted. That's a heavy word in our life, distracted, because there are a lot of distractions out there. There are a lot of distractions that are pulling us away from what I said in the first point of serving the Lord. There are a lot of distractions that are pulling us away from what our gifts should be giving to the Lord. There's a lot of distractions in our world, and I want to stress on this one a little bit further. I was reading an article by Desiring God that gave some advice to our younger population. So you didn't know for like the last 12 weeks through the summer, Madison and I have been serving uh, your children. We have been teaching, um, we actually brought the junior high and the senior high together in one group, so I appreciate all the prayers as we got through that, all right? So from sixth grade to 12th grade, we were working with that group. Um, and I want to say this to, to that group, so all of you students that are in here, eyes up, sixth grade to twelfth grade, this church loves you. We care deeply about you, and you're getting ready to start a new school year, okay? That can come with a lot of pressure. That can come with a lot of stress, a lot of anxieties, okay? But this church has and always will have your back, and we we'll always teach you the right way, All right. So this is what this article was saying, and it really was stressing if you were under the age of 30, okay? Now, that doesn't mean if you're above 30, don't listen to this because it's still good advice, all right? But I especially want all of my students, sixth grade, all the way up to my friends that are under 30, to really lean in, lean in on this one. No, physically, I want you to lean lean in. This is what it says when it's talking about self-discipline. If you want to ruin your life, do these things. This isn't in your outline, but if you want to write this down, it's not a bad idea. If you want to ruin your life, do these things. Number one, do what you want. Just do what you want to do in your life. Just do it all for yourself, all to the glory of you. Do what you want. Number two, live beyond your means. Live beyond what you actually have. Because what that will bring you is a tremendous amount of stress, a tremendous amount of anxiety. And this is why you see things like finances are the number one thing, reason for divorce because of that, because you're living beyond your means. Number three, feed an addiction. We can't be naive to think, guys, that our, our kids in the life that they're growing up don't have addictions. All right? They do. They're there. And it's much, way more accessible now than it ever was in our lives growing up. Number four, I love this one. This would have been some advice that would have been good for all of us. Continue to run with fools, all right? Don't do that. I know we probably all did, okay? The good news is some of us that ran with fools, those us and those fools are all now here in church together. And here we are, praising the Lord, all right? Number five, Believe your life is all about you. Number six, live for immediate gratification. This is a real problem that our kids have because everything that they want is at the touch of a fingertip. Anything that they need is right there. If you want to buy anything, you can buy it right there. If you want to see anything with your eyes at any time, you can. That's immediate, immediately gratifies in you. Yet when they open up this scripture, are they getting that immediate gratification in there? Are they seeing God in their life? And then lastly, and I want to stress with self-discipline, avoid accountability from brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know it's a rough spot when somebody's trying to approach you and give you some feedback and you get real defensive about that. Or, or on the flip side, you're not willing to share feedback with a brother or sister in the Lord out of fear of how they might respond. My fear is that, that that keeps us a lot away from approaching each other lovingly and giving each other the feedback. But that's, I mean, that's how we keep each other disciplined. That's how we keep each other focused on the Lord, dialed in. And so, Paul says those things, right? And then he moves on to say... Don't be ashamed, but join me in this suffering. Join me in suffering for our Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of my theological heroes, as I've studied uh, and read a lot, read a lot. If you ever go to seminary, there's a lot of reading, okay? Um, But one of the heroes that I've come across is Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon said this when talking about being afraid or being ashamed. He said, half of our fears arise from the neglect of the Bible. Half of the fears that you have, your nervousness, your anxiety, is because there's dust collecting on this. Because when you get home, you just put this on the shelf and don't open it back up until next Sunday. You see, when you are in the word of the Lord, that's a a spirit. You understand that God wrote that And you have at your fingertips. You want to talk about immediate gratification? You have at your fingertips the ability to hear from the God who created you. All the time. And he gave that to us. You want to talk about accessibility? Every single country you go into now has accessible, is accessible to the Bible. You want to talk about things that are one touch screen away? The Bible app. Opening up the word of scripture? There it is. And you could hear from the word of God. I got five minutes. What am I going to do with that? Open up the word of the Lord. Hear his word. Pray on his word. And that's what Spurgeon is saying. Is that most of our fears that we have, and it's an easy time to be afraid in our world, are because we're neglecting the Bible. The spirit of God gave us the word of, of God. The spirit that emboldens us also instructs us in scripture and that instruction. And if read regularly... Regularly and applied to our lives. It internalizes the truth about God and his power and love and strengthens us for the task, even in the face of difficulty. Does anybody else wake up and you got some pains? Right, like I mean, if you're in the bed for like more than eight hours, all of a sudden that's gonna start to hurt. Wake up and then take that pain to the Bible. Open up your word and that's going to nourish your body and going to prepare you for the day. Because the day is going to throw you a lot of things. It's going to throw you some curveballs. It's going to throw you some pain. It's going to throw some things that you didn't expect. It would be amazing if we just went through the day and everything was perfect. Isn't that right? But it's not. And so prepare and put on your armor of God by reading his word. And so if God's spirit, it provides us that flame... Then, if, then God's spirit within us will fan that flame and make it bigger and stronger. And again, this doesn't happen apart from appropriating the truth of the word that the spirit has given. The connection between the Holy Spirit and the word of God is made very clear in, in scripture. And we're told the word originated with the spirit here in the scripture. We're gonna see that in 2 Peter. i we put this on the board. No prophecy of scripture came about By the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, that's what makes this not overwhelming for me to be up here because I know that it's the Holy Spirit that is using me. It's using me in my words to work in your hearts. And the Holy Spirit is in every single one of you that believe in Jesus Christ. Paul said about the scripture that he wrote now, going to 1 Corinthians next, he said this, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. And so we see now, God has given us gifts for the mission. That mission, go and make disciples, right? Go and make disciples that believe in Jesus Christ, So he gives us this mission. His spirit motivates us for the mission. It should get you excited, get you worked up, get you fired up. And I say thirdly in your outline, allow the grace of Jesus Christ set you ablaze for the mission. Verse 9. When Pastor and I read this together, it was a beautiful moment because we still are amazed at the work that God has done. In verse 9, he says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. He saved us and called us. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it now has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, the most important thing there in the beginning is pointing out, Paul is saying, that it wasn't just our salvation. He both saved us and called us. So I want to make this clear, family, that it's not just got my salvation, checkbox, I'm good. You see, he saved us and he called every single one of us to a holy life now from there. And that's important Because that calls us to a life of service for Jesus Christ. We should be serving him with a loving heart. Caring and loving for each other. Teaching one another. Rebuking one another when necessary. Okay? He called us. He saved us, yes. Which is important. But now he's called us to live a very holy life. And we should be doing so. And then as you move through that, I want you to feel... God's word when he says grace given before the beginning of time before there ever was any of this any world any galaxy anything before that that grace was already promised to you to me he already knew you by name that's a special thing and it's big theologically as well because this grace given to us was when Christ it wasn't just when Christ was crucified, and that's the point. It wasn't just given to us when Christ was crucified, but that this grace was planned all along from the beginning of time. Let's look at Titus 1-2. We'll put this on the board. Titus 1-2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. I just wonder if you could picture this now. Now, before anything was created. God, the Father, with the Holy Spirit present, is speaking to his Son, Jesus Christ. What a father-son conversation that that is. But it should also affirm theologically your belief, my belief, our belief as a church, in the Trinity. that, That God has always always will, and always had planned on our salvation. In the eternal counsel of the triune God, the Father commissioned the Son to secure our salvation, and the Father promised a people to the Son. So Jesus used language like this in John 6, 39. We'll pull this up. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day, John 6, 39. This conversation, family, I need you to hear this, was happening before you were ever even thought, like your mother wasn't here, your grandmother here, her your grandmother wasn't here, your ancestors in Europe weren't here yet. There was nothing. And God had already planned a salvation to his son, Jesus Christ, that he was going to save you no matter what. So as you read through this huge part of your Bible in the beginning called the Old Testament, when it seemed like time after time the Israelites were screwing up, there was still always a plan. This Bible is a Bible of redemption. It's a redemption story. God gives us gifts, we fail. God gives us strength when we're weak and we lose it. God gives us, he gives us power We're afraid to use it. God gives us opportunity. We don't pray and listen. We don't heed His word. We see this as we go through every book of the Bible. I've given this to you, my family Israel. They ruin it. I've given this to you. Now you've come back. They ruin it. It's a story of redemption because God knew that was always going to happen. And so before any of that happened, He already promised us a son. And he promised the son a people. And you know what's amazing about that family? We're included in that people. We are that people, and we have a son who saved us. And now he's called us to listen to his word. Paul then says in our passage in verse 10, he tells us that Jesus has done the work to accomplish this very thing. And I don't know about you. Sometimes buzzwords get me excited. When I read that Jesus has destroyed death, I think it's a very intentional word that Paul is intending on using here. Because he could have said, "And Jesus got rid of death. Jesus took care of death. He's not trying to just sugarcoat it and say like, eh, we don't die anymore. He's saying he obliterated it. He destroyed death. So you don't have to worry about it. As we go through and went through and coming out of a global pandemic, guess what? You didn't have to worry about dying because you got a Lord and Savior and he destroyed death. And that's exactly what Paul wants to emphasize here. I'm I'm imagining Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, one of the greatest, one of the smartest about the Old Testament, is picturing this. Check this out. The book of Genesis, how does it end? It ends with Joseph dying. The book of Deuteronomy, how does that end? It ends with Moses dying. The book of Joshua, how does that end? It ends with Joshua dying. But then you come to four gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Does the scripture end with the verse that Jesus died? Nope. Every book that you go through the Old Testament, one of the leaders dies. But when you open up the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't stop there. He didn't die. Where does it stop? It stopped when the stone was rolled away and his body was no longer laying there. And he was lifted up and he defeated death and conquered death. And that's why you don't see Jesus Christ up on this cross because he's no longer on the cross. He's serving at the right hand of the Father right now. That's our king, Jesus Christ. There he is. And he died for us. And those books don't end with his death. Because then it wouldn't be a redemptive story. It ends with the risen king. He's risen and he's going to come back for us, y'all. And so it's important that we know that. And so let that grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace that you shouldn't even be here if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, set you ablaze. Meaning I'm not talking just a little fire. Let it stir your soul up so much That you can't go a day without reading the Bible. And then you can't go a day without talking to somebody about the Bible. That you can't go a day without talking to somebody about Jesus Christ because you're so on fire for the Lord that it's all you want to do for the rest of your life. You see, nothing else is more important than people knowing Jesus Christ because is there anything more important than your eternal life? Then why are we playing scared? It's not going to get any easier from here. The things that we go against as a family, as a Christian family, are only going to get harder than what we've already experienced. So we need to prepare. And we need to prepare our youth for that. And they need to be prepared to be on fire. Hot fire for Jesus Christ. So God gifts us for the mission. His spirit motivates us for the mission. The grace of Christ sets us ablaze. And lastly, on our outline then, We, you, should put all of your confidence in the Lord. All of your confidence in the Lord. Verse 11. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. It just, i got to bring up Spurgeon one more time. Just one more time. He says this about suffering. And this was back in the day when he was preaching. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. And this is what some of his congregation was saying. "Is like, we don't face that persecution. I'm not going to a Roman prison. And some of you might be feeling the same today. Like, I'm not going to go to a Roman prison for preaching Christ. We're not even that persecuted. Well, here's what Spurgeon said to his congregation. He said, You tell me there are no persecutions now. Indeed, perhaps if you followed Christ more fully, you would find out that there were. And I think that's a little, he's getting a little spicy with his congregation there, but he's saying, if you're not feeling persecution by your belief in Jesus Christ, then maybe you ain't following him as close as you should be. And I think that's a good charge for us, that if we aren't facing persecution and we're living our best life, Maybe that best life ain't centered on Jesus Christ. And we need to do a little bit better job of focusing that on Jesus. Amen? When it talks about Paul entrusting him until that day, you see, Pastor and I did a little bit of work. We looked at some commentaries. We believe that Paul's entrusting his life to the Lord. His full confidence in service to the Lord. And he's convinced as he looks death in the eyes that the Lord's protected him. The Lord has called him. The Lord's protected him. And that even when we look death in the eyes, we know, family, that's just the beginning of being with our Lord. And that's an amazing thing. So, family, if we could fast forward and see the future. Talked about you looking 15 years from now. And I know none of you said in prison, which that's a good thing. But what we should see in 15 years from now is we should see a life that is on fire for the Lord, that is serving him faithfully, daily, not cowardly, just as Paul instructed his son in the Lord, Timothy, go on fire, be on fire for the Lord 15 years from now, be on, the f- be on fire for the Lord right now. And so your take-home truth as I say in your outline, we are to boldly, boldly use what, the God, use what God has given us for the purpose of his mission. Let's pray that God gives us this strength, this power, and this self-discipline and this love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a heavy word that you've given us today, a word that should be nurturing and nourishing to our souls, but it's not easy. It's not easy when we read this, when we think about Paul being in prison. It's not easy for us To pick up our cross, to lift up our power, our strength, our love, our self-discipline. But it does become easier if we rely on you for that. Father, we're praying that you would stir up in our souls, not that we would rely on our own selves. Clear us of that, Father. Clear us of feeling like we need to put it all on ourselves. That overwhelming pressure, that, that, that pressure that says I've got to do everything, that pressure That says it's all about you that's why there's so much of the mental health that we struggle with because we put that pressure on ourselves and we don't throw and cast our anxieties like Peter tells us to do Father give us the strength and the wisdom to cast our anxieties on you and then tap into the Holy Spirit that you have bestowed in us that we would fan in the flame the gift you have given us that we would go on fire for you that we would be lit For you, that you would give us this power, this strength, and the self-discipline to go out into this world and preach and lift up our cross and preach Jesus Christ in every nook, in every cranny, on every social media website we go on, every single place that we walk, everywhere our footsteps go, let it be lifted by the Holy Spirit. And preach Jesus Christ. Give us this strength, Lord, as we go into a new week and as our kids go into a new school year, give them the same strength and boldness to preach the word, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Testing?
1: Thank you. Yeah, brother, uh, fifteen years from now I'll be in my eighties, so I might just be in heaven. So Amen. I'm looking forward to that. I do have one little challenge that he's talking about here we're going to sing the doxology and we're going to close it with amen by the way this time but I have a challenge for you this week take your family together at night and sing this doxology every day every night before you go to bed and those kids may be just thinking and not only kids you may be thinking praise God all day long praise God from whom all blessings flow praise God from whom all Things flow, praise him, all creatures. Dependent body of Christ. Let's glorify God in cafe community and be back here quarter after. Thank you